electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Today, stocks are mixed, but is there hope for the bulls here? Netflix is surging as strong subscription numbers boost things there. Julia's got that breakdown in a moment. That's not the only positive sign. More on Adobe's stable guidance, what it means for software, Plus, a look at one chip industry name bucking the trend as China curbs hit the rest of the sector. Equipment maker ASML pulls past the competition this morning. Let's start with Netflix, though. It is the top gainer uh, on the NASDAQ and S&P. A share surge on stronger-than-expected results and subscriber numbers. Julia Boyston here with us at One Market. Still, we love having you here. Um, It's great to be here. A lot of enthusiasm from Reed Hastings yesterday, and it such a market departure from the last few quarters. You definitely hear a shift but after it, after they lost so many subscribers in the first And it has been kind of amazing how quickly they've built and are getting ready to launch this ad model. But is it too soon to sort of call victory? Too soon to call victory on the ad model. But what's really so interesting here is that Netflix did return to subscriber growth, but it's also trying to change what types of metrics is judged on as it gets ready to launch that ad-supported service. So Netflix added far more subscribers than expected in Q3, 2.4 million compared to the 1 million expected. And it forecasts the addition of 4.5 million subscribers in Q4. That's half a million more than analysts anticipated. Co-CEO Ted Sarandos saying that they are optimistic about their potential to grow even in the face of headwinds. We have a lot of work to do uh, to continue to reaccelerate revenue. Uh, we're really happy with our levels of engagement, the number of hit series and films that we're able to put to our members at prices that they think are a phenomenal value uh, in these strained economic times. And we're growing. Uh, even in those strained economic times and with the extraordinary levels of competition out there. Going forward, Netflix says it does not want to be judged based on its subscriber numbers and that they won't be giving a subscriber guidance going forward. Rather, they want to be judged on top line revenue as the company starts to benefit from advertising as well as fees from paid sharing. Netflix saying its growth is being driven right now by its non-English programming as well as original films, plus their innovative marketing driving what Netflix says is higher engagement than any other streamer, 7.6% of TV time in the U.S. J.P. Morgan upgrading the stock today, saying, quote, we have increased conviction in Netflix's ability to accelerate revenue growth with the help of advertising and monetization of account sharing, expand operating margins and increase free cash flow. Now, while there is a lot of attention on this ad supported service that Netflix will start to roll out on November 1st, the expectation is that advertising revenue will ramp very slowly. Guys. Julia, I've heard some people talk about these Stranger Things experiences that they've had in some major cities, almost like a mini theme park experience. So I wonder, are they counting that as marketing? Are they talking about exactly 
what what that does for them. And, you know, how much attention should investors pay to the subscriber, uh, the big subscriber surprise, right? As management is saying, don't pay attention to subs, pay attention to revenue. Well, I think going forward, they know that sub growth is going to be slower, but also that each subscriber is going to have a very different type of value in different markets. So we have seen the majority of the growth come from outside North America, which is um, obviously a much more saturated market. But as for those Stranger Things experiences, not only are they doing those experiences, they're also investing more in consumer products. I'm sure they'll be marketing those more ahead of the holiday season. And what's so interesting is that really is marketing. Having people go and do these experiences and then post about them on Instagram is incredibly valuable marketing. But down the road, they do see more opportunity to turn them in to really standalone revenue streams. How big they become, I don't think they're ever going to be the size of a, of a Disney-themed parks business, but they could um, end up bolstering the business in other ways. There is a Stranger Things experience here, by the way, in San Francisco. Julie, if you want to... Have you tried it? No, I'm a little scared of it, but it does exist. Maybe it's a test case. Anyways, let's turn to Snap as well, um, because Citi opened a positive catalyst watch ahead of results on Thursday, predicting better-than-expected top-line numbers, driven by an improving environment for online ads and better monetizing its platforms like Spotlight and Snap Maps, adding they're keeping an eye out for increased profitability and signs of progress in the company's augmented reality business. Um, Julia, it's kind of amazing the tone that we have right now, just broadly at the beginning of this um, earnings season from the likes of Netflix and Snap, some of the most beaten down names this year in consumer tech. Um, This is a 30-day positive catalyst watch. So are they essentially saying that sort of these fundamental problems or challenges still exist, but maybe some upside? Because Snap, as we know, Evan Spiegel has been really kind of transparent with investors, maybe under under promising. promising. Thank you. Under promising. I mean, what's so interesting is that he has been so transparent, talking about the decline in ad revenue, the plateau, the picking up of it. And if we look at at the snap chart, if we could look at it actually over the full year, it's really interesting to see that trajectory. We are going to be hearing from snap after the bell on Thursday. And the question is, how are they navigating these challenges? They've talked about the headwinds of an overall contraction in ad spending. Are they better positioned because they have more direct response? They've talked about the challenges of Apple's operating system changes that make it harder to target ads and measure their impact. Are they finding better workarounds? And then, of course, they have all these augmented reality tools. How valuable are those tools to advertisers as they try to drive sales this holiday season? So the question is, are they at an advantage or can they sort of build up their advantage as they compete with the likes of... uh, of, Right. And none of those have really gone away. Julia, I'm, I'm wary. I wonder... Are we, and when I say we, I'm including retail investors in this, becoming volatility addicts where there's this expectation that, well, things move that way, so now they have to move this way, right? Like the things are going to turn on a dime because over the past few years, they've tended to, but you and I remember times when the market has slumped and stayed slumped for a while. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe volatility, um, e- even though it's significant right now isn't going to break out of this range for quite a while. And so you shouldn't necessarily expect that that something dramatically different is going to happen with Snap. I like this diagnosis of a volatility addiction, John. I think that's a very good way of putting it. But what's so interesting to me about these ad platforms like Snap or like Facebook is they actually make it really easy to turn on and off ad spending. Back in the day when you had TV platforms being the dominant place for, for advertising, 
it, it took a while for you to see trends play out because so many marketers were making commitments a year in advance and planning their ad spending for the entire year. It is possible for marketers to turn on and off spending on something like a TikTok or a Snap, and that's why you can see such dramatic moves and such a dramatic speed up or slow down in a shorter period of time. So maybe when it comes to these platforms, watching things move more quickly actually makes sense. Julie, it's been great to have you in San Francisco on this leg of your book tour. Thank you. It's been fantastic. The talks here. have been amazing. So if you haven't bought that book yet, you better go out and do so. Thank you, Dee. Thanks. Always appreciate Safe travels. Support. Thanks. I will definitely second that. Let's talk some more about Netflix and consumers tech. Our next guest out with a new note today, raising his price target to 340, a bullish on sub ads and strong seasonal trends heading into the holidays. Joining us today, Cowan's John Blackledge. John, great to have you back. Uh, on Netflix uh, in general, this AVOD strategy, you know, for so long they were the company with first strike advantage. Now they're coming in with second strike. Does it still mean it's an advantage for them? Well, they they were pretty bullish last night, right? They on the on the AVOD uh, tier um, that's being launched in twelve markets in early November. They cited strong demand, initial demand for the ad, ad inventory, and they said it should be a significant um, driver of incremental revenue and profits over time. And if you remember, we did work in mid June. We were on the show in mid June um, uh, on our initial work on the ad tier. And it's kind of lining up to what we thought it would be. We said $6.99 um, at the time. That's what they're launching. That's a price in the U.S. We said four to five minutes of ads. That's what they're doing. We think they can do $10 of ad revenue per member uh, in the U.S. And then we also, our survey work suggests about 4 million um, uh, uh, ad tier members uh, in kind of in the first year. And then you're going to probably have some folks switching from existing tiers. And then, uh, as you guys were talking about earlier, the paid sharing is going to launch in early 2023, and that's complimentary. So this ad tier comes at a really good time. Like I, They probably should have launched it years ago, but it's, it's here now. And I think it's going to be a, a big catalyst for top line growth in the coming years. Yeah. It doesn't sound like from the sub guidance that they're counting on AVOD to deliver a, a large number of fresh subs. I wonder if you think that's a liability or I mean, at what point do we figure out that was either right or wrong? I think it's a good question. I asked that last night and it's uh, it's uh, I'm talking with management and they're just being conservative. They said of the four point five, a, a little bit is the is uh, is from the AVOD tier, which is again launching in November. I they're being conservative because our data suggests like pretty, at least in the U.S., pretty good demand for it. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we actually came out a little bit above the four or five uh, for four Q. Uh, so we'll have to see. Yeah. Everyone and everyone by I mean, Wall Street is so excited about them launching the ad supported model. Um, but could there be hiccups in that process when that rolls out in the next two weeks that maybe the market isn't accounting for or is complacent on? Uh, it's new to them, right? I mean, they, they announced this uh, and they're taking it to market in six months for a company of this size. And they're working with Microsoft and they're, they're giving a lot of uh, thanks to Microsoft uh, to be able to, to do this. So I think they're, they're being conservative to Carl's last question about the impact early from a sub perspective uh, and taking like a, from, a, from an impact perspective on the model, uh, it, taking the view of it's going to be a couple of years, you know, the targeting to start it's just going to be but, kind of John, John, John what could go wrong, I guess, is the question, not how Netflix is handling it. When you see the rollout of advertising from companies that don't do advertising, what could go wrong? Uh, I, I don't I, I think they're in good hands with with Microsoft as their partner. Uh, and again, they're 
like I said, they're going to do four to five minutes of ads. Their competitors, Hulu is doing 11 minutes. For the consumer, it's going to be a good proposition uh, to start. It's, it's you know, 20 to 40% below the beer and a limited ad load. And also, they're doing ad frequency caps, uh, meaning, you know, consumer watching shows and going to see the same ad uh, during that programming. So I think, you know, they've, they've been conservative in talking to the street about it. And I think it should be a, you know, kind of a, a, a fine start. And we don't have like these huge expectations baked into numbers at this point. So, John, what about what about costs for Netflix? They're saying pay attention to the top line. OK, but they've been spending a lot on content creation and spending it in international markets largely that are not going to monetize along ads and also where the middle class looks to be uh, having a difficult time and perhaps having an increasingly difficult time over the next year plus with inflation in the global economy doing what it is. So how much should we think about the costs that Netflix perhaps continues to spend there and how those monetize or not? Yeah, John, they, they, they're going to spend about $17 billion in cash content in 2022. They told us it's going to be flat next year. And then Ted on the call last night was saying, in, in the, as we're talking about, their focus is on revenue and revenue acceleration. As revenue accelerates, um, they may change that um, their investment spend on content, um, but it's pretty much locked in. It's going to be seven billion next year, so flat. And I would say, like, you're launching an ad tier, and I, I hear what you're saying. And in, in eleven markets outside the U.S., um, they're mostly big, mature, um, developed markets. Uh, and but it's twenty to forty percent below the the basic level in any of those markets. So actually, in in a tougher macro environment, it's a it's a pretty good uh, value prop for for the consumer and for, and for the middle and, and and lower income consumer in particular. Hey, finally, John. You know, we talked about this morning how they threw a little shade at the industry at large, losing billions while they're working with billions in operating profit. Do you think yeah. what we heard last night in any way? alters the trajectory of strategies at their competitors? Yeah, I thought it was interesting, Carl, in the letter, they were saying that some were kind of reining in content spend. And and uh, I thought that maybe could bode well for them. While at the same time, you have Apple out there that could spend, you know, as much as they want. And, and Amazon's really um, uh, spending too. But, you know, I thought it was a, yeah, they did kind of call out, um, you know, some unprofitable models, whereas they are profitable. Um, but I, I just thought it was, it's just, uh, we're kind of still early innings here. And um, it was, I think they were just uh, highlighting, you know, kind of some of the competitive aspects that that they're seeing. Um, but I think the streaming industry, uh, overall is is in is in good step good shape and um you know kind of good secularly for you know the coming decade or so right well back to the 200 day here as we said first time uh, almost since the beginning of the year john great to see you thanks so much yeah, john thank Blackledge. You. is it time to place fresh bets on software as adobe heads higher by more than two and a half percent we will discuss next tech check is just getting started what does it mean to be rich is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Adobe stock is popping after the company gave a solid 2023 forecast in its analyst day yesterday, considering a strong dollar is cutting into growth. I spoke with CEO Shantu Narayan live from the Adobe Max conference just a few hours ahead of that analyst meeting in Los Angeles about how software is still going to drive growth into the future. As it relates to digital, uh, even if the growth is not the kind of growth that you experienced, that shift uh, of moving from physical to digital is not going to change. Mm -hmm. And so it may be, you know, a deceleration of the growth relative to what it's happened, but it's still growth and it's still a movement that's going to happen. And so I think you have to unpack what's happening on the overall macroeconomic situation where there's perhaps a little bit more pessimism versus what's happening in digital where that relentless move is only going to continue. Carl, you also got to unpack the stock move today up a solid 3%, even though a lot of analysts are saying that Adobe's forecast was short of their expectations. But keep in mind, this is a 2023 forecast ahead of an uncertain Q4 with an uncertain global macro where they're still forecasting 9 to 13% growth across business units. Once you factor in uh, the strong dollar, that's not bad considering nobody right now wants to overpromise. Yeah, uh, we uh, the currency issue you really can't ignore. Uh, Liz Ann Saunders, thank you for the metric today. Currency volatility cost U.S. business 34 billion between April and June, and so we still got a lot to catch up on that front, Deep. Absolutely. But markets have now, you know, baked that in. So they're looking beyond those Forex implications. And to your point, John, um, you know, strong comments from Chantanu yesterday and seemed to address those concerns that maybe that Figma deal was coming from a place of increased competition. I liked his answer to you um, when you asked him, you know, is Microsoft and a company like Canva coming to eat your lunch? He said, listen, Microsoft is more about productivity, more creativity. They just have creativity sprinkled in. I noticed he didn't directly address Canva, though. Well, I mean, they got to thread that needle between saying we're dominant in creativity, but also saying Figma's about productivity. So, like, th- this isn't anti-competitive. There's lots yeah. of, we're competing with the biggest and the smallest you are still doing okay. That's sort of the argument they have to make. Yep, especially for regulators. Our next only guest for also regulators. Yeah. only for regulators. There you go. Our next guest also a software bull, arguing that enterprise names will lead the way and benefit most as interest rates settle. Joining us now, BMO Wealth Management Chief Investment Strategist Young Yuma. Uh, great to have you with us this morning. So it kind of feels like we're entering maybe a comeback quarter. It feels like Q2, and that expectations are so beaten down. These sort of um, sprigs of hope that we're getting from the likes of Netflix and others, ASML so far, um, are giving investors a reason to jump back in. But we know how that ended last time. It was a bear market rally. What's different about this time, if, if anything? Well, I think it remains to be seen what's different, but certainly uh, estimates have come down a lot. So expectations have been lowered. And we are seeing some positive signs out of ASML. Of course, uh, they're very distinctive in terms of really focusing on leading edge tools. 
but at least right now, the indications we're seeing out of software as well, enterprise software, it's not going to be a dire situation, even though there remain the macro overhang and those clouds that still remain. So that's still the concern that lingers, uh, but, but certainly expectations have been lowered enough that it helps coming into earnings season to provide some stability in the market and for technology. Okay, so maybe not dire for enterprise software, but we still have seen this sort of pulling back. We've seen these sales cycles become elongated. And I wonder, Young Yu, if you think that we're going to start to see the effects of this on some of the hyperscalers, an area of the market that investors have remained confident about. Could there be any surprises there this quarter from the likes of Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera? Well, so, well, certainly we expect a little bit of softness. So the question is how much that's already baked in. I think it's probably uh, largely baked in. And the macro overhang, the concern right now is that the macro overhang is going to be a several quarter question. Uh, and so that's right now what the markets are contending with. We have some stability, uh, even some earnings beats, given the low guidance or, or low expectations. Uh, but right now what we're contending with is this overhang, the economic backdrop is not going to go away uh, in one or two quarters, it's probably uh, three, four quarters that's going to be with us where we have high interest rates, slowing growth, and how that gets factored in is, is still a gradual process. Does that mean that you think some of these uh, upgrades on names like Micron, where they really are trying to time the inventory cycle uh, and obviously the, the valuations that have come in, are those calls too early? I think it's tough. It remains to be seen who, who can actually pick the bottom, but I, th I think it's tough given how much inventory is still out there, uh, given that we don't quite know how long the slowdown is going to be uh, and the drag on consumer spending and even the potential drag on corporate spending. So areas that have previously been stable, uh, it remains to be seen in the coming quarters whether those start to slow down, say the industrial areas uh, where, where semi sell into or automotive. Uh, we could still see some slowdown there. So I think it's uh, possibly a bit early um, but it remains to be seen whether or not, whether or not the economy can level off here. Young Yu, I wonder what you expect to happen with government spending on technology when governments are either spending on, you know, the, the war in Ukraine, sending equipment over there, or helping citizens stomach uh, energy prices, whether you're talking about Europe. I mean, there are so many different demands on government resources right now at a time when uh, the global economy is also slowing down, does technology uh, spending from governments take some sort of a growth pause? What happens? Well, I do think governments are, are going to realize they're going to have to support the economies in various ways. Certainly in Europe, that's happening. Uh, but the, the problem is that's offsetting other strains that are in the marketplace already. So the government spending that is there, a lot of that is, is to offset difficulties uh, that consumers are experiencing right now. So I don't see it uh, on net as necessarily positive or negative, uh, but it's really shifting around some money and trying to alleviate the strains that are out there. Yeah, key area to look to. Young Yu, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Meantime, Baird's getting bullish on some software names today. They call CrowdStrike, Fortinet, and Zscale are some top picks. All three names, as you know, have underperformed S&P over the last year. But Baird says these levels are an attractive entry point. We'll get some more market action after the break with the markets a bit split here. Dow's up 50. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Uh, checking in on things about half past the hour here. Market continues to be split with some mild gains on the Dow, basically flat for the moment. We are holding 3,700 on the S&P. Let's get to Dom Chu, who's got a look at some key gainers you might have missed this morning. Hey, Dom. All right, so if we take a look at what's happening right now, the moves off the lows have not been insignificant at all. In fact, for the NASDAQ 100 and the ETF that tracks it, the QQQ, it's been a rise off the lows over the course of the past four or five trading days or so on an intraday basis by about 7%, but it still puts us Roughly, you can see here, 33% below where we were at record highs last fall. So the QQQ trust in the NASDAQ 100 trying to find some way to power some gains. Now, within there, we've seen some notable outperformance in key parts of that technology trade, specifically in cloud computing and Internet-related stocks. ETFs that track those are generally up about 4 to 5% over the last week. The notable laggard here has been semiconductors, and that puts a lot of attention on the earnings report for Lamb Research out after the closing bell today. If you drill down further... The upside has been powered over the course of the last week by some notable names on the middle of the large cap, mega cap side of things. Meta platforms, Tesla, Amazon over the last week, among some of those that have had bigger kind of moves and influences over that mega cap technology trade, specifically within the Nasdaq 100. You can see their meta platforms up 6%, even though it's been down pretty big over the medium to long term. Other names that you get a pretty decent move higher on in terms of contributing to the upside are names on the mega cap basis, right? We're talking about Netflix specifically in general. Those gains of 14% today have made it the single best one-week performer among mega cap names in that NASDAQ 100. So watch Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. Those names have done really well. Meta platforms as well, but Netflix certainly after a pretty decent downside for the long term, John. Moving to the upside again here. Back over to you. Yeah. 14.5%. 14.5%. Dom, thanks. Now let's get a news update. Contessa Brewer has that. Contessa. Hi there, John. Here's what's happening right now. Housing starts fell 8.1% last month, a larger drop than expected, and building permits rose roughly in line with forecasts, but they remain near two-year lows. Mortgage applications have sunk to their lowest level in 25 years as interest rates continue to rise. Mortgage volumes fell 4% in the latest week and now are nearly 40% below year-ago levels, refinance applications down 89% over the last year. Procter & Gamble shares jumping about 3% as price increases on its products helped offset higher material costs and then, of course, the stronger dollar. P&G maintained its outlook for organic sales growth but lowered its full-year forecast for overall revenues. Generac is by far the biggest loser on the S&P 500 today. The stock down more than 20% after the company warned quarterly results would be well below estimates. The company blamed insufficient capacity to install generators for limiting sales and cutting into margins. That's the news for right now. Deirdre, I see that you got the uh, tan memo coast to coast. I just wrote you. You'll you did? see it when you get off air. I just wrote you. Great minds think alike. Think that's true. They do. A wardrobe. We, we got it. Contessa, thank you. Sure. We will get food delivery company results in a few weeks. Ahead of that, we got numbers from Grubhub parent Just Eat Takeaway touting a return to profitability ahead of schedule. 
but touting adjusted EBITDA profitability. And as we've discussed, investors really looking for free cash flow and gap profitability in this market. And while unit economics, they are improving across the food delivery space, there is still a lot of noise to sort through. Uber, for example, lost $8.5 billion in the first half of this year, largely due to its equity investments that have been hammered along with the broader markets. DoorDash and Just Eat, they've been acquisitive and that's led to losses too. Net losses of about half a billion and three and a half billion euros for Just Eat, respectively, in the first half. Uh, guys, these companies, you know, in the case of Uber, more than a decade on, still looking for profitability. We're going to talk about its advertising push a little bit later on in the show, but that is a high margin business that the company and investors uh, may be positive on. Um, but that noise that I mentioned, those losses, net losses, still just huge numbers. And some of those key challenges to profitability include what we've recently discussed the regulatory pressures, um, what the Department of Labor is looking at that may not lead to any changes soon, but is still an overhang, John. Yeah, and I'm less, as I watch this space, less worried about raw profitability than unit economics and does this company have the best approach to data, right, to be able to get smarter faster, Carl. Uh, More and more when you talk to DoorDash, Tony Hsu talks about the last mile solution angle of this. It's not just about food delivery. It's about delivery of things and who can do that most intelligently and who can get the loyalty and trust of the user uh, to be that first stop to get that. Yeah, I would note uh, Lyft is up, I don't know, 30 percent or so in about a week as we got some of those uh, fee hikes, D. Uh, and J.B. Hunt, although not in the same business, did talk this morning about better availability of drivers, maybe at elevated cost. In their view, it's really the equipment availability that's the problem. But that's key for these companies as well. Absolutely key. That driver availability that really went down during the pandemic, that's coming online. But then you look to the next problem, as John says, so that trust is going to be important and what they do with the data, which is why it'll be so interesting, Carl, to look and track, um, look at and track Uber's ad business, because that is essentially it taking that first party data that it has, which is so important amid all of the Apple privacy changes to get to better, get better margins, better profitability. Yeah. Investors got to be careful, Carl, not to get that whiplash from like, the Kathy Wood, long-termism, innovation is everything to just short-term, who's going to give me a dollar of profits right now, right? With technology, it's got to be somewhere, somewhere in the middle. All right. Uh, meantime, as we've been talking about all hour long, Netflix betting big on ads. Question remains, is it going to pay off? We're going to discuss with the stock hanging on to a 15% gain. Let's turn back to Netflix and the content economy. Netflix Still rallying up about, let's see, let's have a look at it. I think 15%. The launch of its new ad tier less than a month ago, uh, 14%, less than a month away. But will Netflix be able to achieve a neutral impact to revenue if subscribers downgrade to the new plan? Our next guest lays out why that might not be the case in his latest piece. Joining us now, founder of Mobile Dev Memo, Eric Sufert. Eric, I was asking about this, might have been yesterday or the day before, um, because it seems to me if you've got an ad business, you need the audience to grow. But does Netflix want the audience to downgrade and grow into that in developed markets or not? How is this going to work? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me here today. I'm, uh, I'm pleased to be joining you. That's, that's the billion-dollar question. So Netflix's ad-supported uh, content tier, it's called basic with ads, is priced somewhere in the middle 
of the other ad-supported tiers from the big streaming players, Hulu and Disney Plus. Uh, price there is at $7.99, HBO $9.99, Peacock and Paramount $4.99. Um, so what Netflix has to do is to make that transition revenue neutral, as it's, or ARPU neutral, right? So average revenue per user, ARPU neutral. If a user decides to switch from basic at $9.99 to basic with ads at $6.99, and how do you do that? Well, I think the primary way you do that is by commanding a premium CPM, which Netflix is, right? So they've priced their CPM at $65. Um, that's kind of an ad trafficking uh, metric, but that basically means how much money you pay for a thousand impressions. Well, that's certainly a premium compared to linear TV, which would be somewhere around the $10 to $15 range, but it's even a premium compared to Disney Plus, which was seeking $50, right? So I think if they are able to fill all the inventory at $65 CPM, which I, I, I have no doubt they'll be able to do, um, this is absolutely accretive and this will be ARPU positive. But if that CPM falls over time, uh, will it be, right? And if they get more users switching from the $9.99 tier to the $6.99 tier, can they maintain that $3 in ARPU with ad revenue? Well, um, is yep. this really also, though, just if we're thinking about how this model works, does basic become premium? Do they use this as an excuse to hike the prices on the high end and say, well, if you don't like it, watch some ads, right? Well, you know, <laughs> I, can't, uh, I can't tell the future here, but my sense is, you know, if you're anchoring the price uh, at $9.99, well then, you know, you, and, and relative to the $6.99 ad-supported tier, you probably have some room to bump the prices of all the premium tiers up because they have kind of three premium tiers now. Um, but my sense is, you know, um, you, the problem with introducing an ad-supported tier is there's an adverse selection issue, right? The people that switch over or the people that are net new subscribers are going to be probably worth less. They're going to be on the lower end of engagement, uh, the lower end of sort of uh, 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 targeting uh, desire by advertisers simply because, you know, they're willing to pay less uh, to have that interruption. And keep in mind, the ad units here are 15 and 30 second unskippable pre-roll and mid-roll ads. That's a, that's a pretty big disruption to the content experience. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, four to five minutes per content hour. I'm curious right. what you make of them, of their attempt to wean the street off of the sub number and focus on revenue. Their argument is, look, we have a broader range of product. Any given sub can have varying amounts of economic impact, but a lot of their rivals have multiple product lines and they, we focus on subs. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it certainly works to their benefit. I mean, they provided guidance for next quarter when, you know, the ad tier will be introduced. So obviously there's going to be a, 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 an enlargement of the sub base, um, but they said they won't do it again, right? Um, of course, if you're a company, you want investors focused on the long term, you want investors focused on revenue, um, and subs can fluctuate, you know, wildly quarter to quarter, as we've seen with the last, uh, you know, kind of three quarters. Um, and, and all the sort of stock drama that, that is a, has arisen from that. Um, I, it makes sense from, from their perspective, from an investor perspective, I mean, the way you drive revenues through subs or price increases, right? Um, and I think if, if you wanna focus on the revenue, um, well then you've gotta make a compelling case for why subs will continue to, to, to increase going forward, um, even, if, even if there's a lot of variability within that. Right. Meanwhile, you know, there's not much hair on the print per se. Certainly the street doesn't think so, but they did guide margin down for the coming quarter below estimates. And I guess, once again, it's about the spending cycle and how much got pushed into which quarter. That's something that's going to be very difficult to get away from, I imagine. Yeah, but well, that's always the case. I mean, they're, they're talking about next quarter being strong because they have a stronger content slate, plus the seasonality of the holidays, which always just drives more engagement. I mean, that sounds fine, but that's not unique to this year or next year or whatever. I mean, that's always something that's to be expected. 
Eric, um, just quickly as well, I wonder, we're going to move on to another subject in a moment, but on Netflix, is it a mistake for the company to double down on the binging model? I mean, in the investor letter yesterday, they showed this chart of engagement in terms of Google Trends. You get a big spike when they have a hit series, but it's not sustained. What do advertisers want to see? Advertisers want to see engagement, right? And this is absolutely a hill I will die on. I've said forever that the binge model is superior to the drip feed model. Uh, the reason for that is you, if you have enough of a content slate and you have enough of a drumbeat of content, you can keep that engagement elevated through binging, right? And that's exactly what Netflix said in the shareholder letter and, and in the call. Um, and, you know, they announced in 2019 that they had about two hours on average of view time per user, right? Well, that's high. Um, and they need to keep that high in order to sustain these projections on, on the mm -hmm. ad-supported tier. So I, I fully subscribe to that. <laughs> All right. I, I, I'll take the opposite side. I don't really like that. I like the weekly releases. Um, but while we have you, Eric, let's get your take on Uber's push in advertising. We talked about it a little earlier in the show. Uh, the company announcing today that it has formally launched its advertising division. And Uber Journey ads, this is really a way for them to leverage that first-party data and allow companies to advertise on its app using what it knows about where passengers are going. Um, I was in a taxi in New York a few weeks ago and was reminded of how much I dislike taxis in the first place, and it's those yeah. autoplay ads in the back. So I wonder, is this you know, more of an evolution of Uber becoming more like a traditional taxi company, the very thing that it was trying to disrupt? Well, so I'll take the opposite side of that argument. I love the New York taxis because they have the games on those little iPads and it uh, makes for a much more enjoyable <laughs> ride. But so this taps into something that you alluded to earlier and what I've sort of described with this catchphrase that I came up with last November, which is everything is an ad network, right? So mm -hmm. Apple's app tracking, transparency, privacy policy disrupted the free flow of data across contexts, which now places a, first, uh, a premium on first party data, right? So prior to ATT, Facebook and Google, they captured all the growth in digital advertising. In 2016, PwC estimated that Facebook and Google captured 89% of the growth in digital advertising. And Facebook, in particular, was able to do that by aggregating third-party data. Well, they can't do that now as a result of Apple's app-tracking transparency privacy uh, policy. And that's why you see this mass proliferation of what's called retail media networks, right? So basically a proprietary ad product by a company that has a lot of first-party data, and Uber certainly does, right? Now, one thing I'd point out is that Uber delivered $140 million in ad revenue in 2021, so the ads business is not new. But what is new is they're monetizing all of this um, rider location data to target ads on that basis. I think this is going to be a phenomenally successful product. I think it also creates some privacy questions that they'll yeah. need to answer. Mm. All right, indeed. Eric, thank you. Carl, what Dee dislikes most about New York cabs is the ads. First time no, I, heard I that like one. seeing the our very colleagues, videos okay? that she's probably on, John, to be honest. <laughs> I, know, I was going to say, I love seeing the CNBC reporters and anchors, okay? I don't <laughs> okay. hate it all. Well, those aren't The ads, noise though. is what bothers me. That's essential information. <laughs> Still ahead, AMD and Micron that may have warned of a chip slowdown. It's not stopping ASML, as we've talked about this morning, up 7.5% uh, on a pretty flat tape. We're back in a moment. Let's get a gut check on ASML. Shares are higher, as we said, after a beat on the top and the bottom line. Uh, despite the broader semi-slowdown and these tighter U.S. chip sanctions when it comes to China, company did predict a, quote, limited impact from those restrictions. And after those big warnings from Micron and AMD, giving some hope to the bulls this morning, John. Uh, Europe's largest tech company. We don't talk about it a lot, but we probably should talk about it more. Yeah, I'm trying to talk about it more. I think we had a guest a few days ago who said, if China doesn't buy that equipment, somebody's going to, D, and then that's the key. It's just shifting that demand someplace else. 
And Key, this is European company. So as the company itself notes, it doesn't use a lot of U.S. chip tools, chip in its tools. So it's perhaps protected and maybe not a reason to get bullish on the space because we know a lot of U.S. chip companies, John, are going to be affected by this. Um, it also says that um, the rules do not govern lithography equipment shipped by ASML. So in a unique position here, as it always has been. Yes. They still don't want to tick off the U.S. government, though. So that puts them in a tough position indeed. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Tesla, hours away from reporting results, will have more on what to expect perhaps how to trade it. Next, Tech Check, back in two. Tesla just hours away from reporting results as analysts look for near record profits. Phil Abo joins us now with the latest. Phil, uh, shares have really been hammered going into this report, down some 20% yeah. on the quarter so far. And I think that part of that, Deirdre, is that people are really unsure what to make out of where Tesla is in this moment in time. There's no doubt that it leads the EV industry, not only here in the U.S., but worldwide. But how much is it losing the lead that it has in terms of market share? And we already are seeing that here in the U.S. And does that impact the profitability? Because, frankly, when you look at the fourth quarter and the things to look at, it comes down to a couple of metrics within the numbers. One of them, automotive gross margins. Most analysts are expecting to be in that 28.5%. I think that's the consensus at this point. If it's generally close to there or maybe a little higher, I think you're going to see the stock move higher. What's happening with production at the gigafactories in Texas and Berlin? And for that matter, what's happening with delivery growth in the fourth quarter? They need to deliver, I think, 440,000, 450,000 in order to hit the consensus for all of 22, which is 1.35 million vehicles. I think they're a little over 900,000 through the first three quarters. Do we get any guidance in terms of what they're expecting in terms of delivery and demand? And as you take a look at shares of Tesla, keep in mind that the average sales price the price that is being paid for a Tesla vehicle right now, $57,000. So they clearly, and that's moving higher. I think it was fifty-five-one last quarter or, or in the second quarter. So they're clearly, they're seeing the momentum growing in terms of higher prices, guys. Now the question becomes, how much are they able to convert that into profits? And we'll get those numbers after the bell. And then obviously the conference call, hopefully with Elon Musk coming up later this afternoon. Hey, uh, Phil, we talk a lot about uh, credit now in the auto space after Ally Financial yep. today and CarMax and the Ford pre-announce. What's our expectation? Yep. I mean, do you think Tesla begins to talk about this too? I'm not sure they will. I mean, they might allude to it to a certain extent, um, but I, I'm not sure it's going to get a whole lot of attention. I think most of the questions from analysts, there may be some about the consumer. And if the consumer slows down, how that might impact demand. But most of the questions, I believe, are going to be centered around production and what's happening as they work on this next generation battery uh, and battery cells and how the ramp up in the production of those cells are going. Phil, competition, of course, always a concern. But, you know, is it really here? How quickly is it ramping up? You see a lot of Rivians actually here on the streets in San Francisco. But sure. they recalled, of course, nearly every vehicle they produced. And right. does that highlight the challenges that not just they, but other, you know, traditional automakers are going to have in terms of rolling out their EVs? Well, the competition is coming. And you can see that in, in Tesla's market share. I believe through the third quarter when we talked with Motor Intelligence, which tracks all sales uh, here in the U.S., it's down to about 66, 67 percent. It was at 71 percent. So they're losing some every quarter. That's only natural because more EVs are coming out. Are, is the competition to a point where it's going to threaten Model 3 and Model Y in terms of sales? Nowhere close. 
Elon Musk has the hammer both in terms of the product as well as the production. And he's got that hammer for at least another year, I believe. And then you might start to see some more entry-level products coming out that could potentially cut into the sales dominance in EVs, strictly EVs, for the Model 3 and the Model Y. All right, Philip Bow. I know you'll be watching. We'll see. Thank you. We will. All right, everybody, get your phones out now. I've got a QR code coming out. Just, just get ready. Okay. First, still to come, it's not just Tesla. IBM reporting tonight as well. We'll have more on that in a moment. And we're just a little over 24 hours away from this year's, there it is, there's the QR code, from this year's Disruptor 50 Summit. It's gonna be a deep dive into the latest trends, disrupting, enabling, and powering growth. And you can scan that QR code at the bottom of your screen to register. Give you a little time to do that. There, Tech Check is back in a moment. The Nasdaq is fractionally lower this morning, but here are the biggest gainers on the index. You can see Netflix there at the top, Intuitive Surgical, ASML, which we mentioned, Adobe, and Applied Materials. A couple of chip names, Dee. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more thing before we go. That's IBM earnings this afternoon. Investors are going to be keeping a close eye on the state of IT spending and enterprise demand, which hopefully IBM will give us some hints as to. And any potential headwinds due to the strong dollar. The stock has been outperforming the broader market this year as that, you know, value tech bid gets tech play gets a bid, but of course, underperforming over the last decade or so. Um, guys, it could be messy as well, because of course, that Kindrel spin out was completed last year around this time. So your, your comparisons could be difficult. John, I wonder what your take is. How much can we um, glean from its cloud performance for some of the other players, since it is such a smaller product? I'm less curious about that, perhaps surprisingly, than about some of those core trends and things like government, Carl, um, mm. because it's not so much about growth as predictability and how much do they get affected in their core business by the macro. Is that storyline playing out that Arvin shared with us about people coming to them for a workforce they can't hire on their own? Yep, the macro is not going to go away, though. Uh, Two-year, four, five, three, almost four, five, four. That's going to be uh, get a lion's share of the attention. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 